I'm Bethany Burnham. And I'm Libby Lee. And today we have a really special treat for you. We have Brianna Gentilella, who's my college roommate, and the dictionary and blues clues. Hell yeah, she was. And um, you know what's also funny about Brie is that there were like rumors about her in my grade because, you know, you guys were a few grades ahead of me. So I remember people being like, that's Dora. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I'm getting over. It's not the Rona. It's not Miss Rona. <laughs> Although we definitely thought it could have been for a second there. <laughs> yeah, it was a very crazy week. We could tell that story really quick. I accidentally closed Libby. Libby works at Rothy's. Um, shout out Rothy's. Shout out to Rothy's. Not sponsored, but sponsor us. Um, we need the money. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but seriously, vulnerable. sponsor us. <laughs> but seriously. Um, and I started to get a little cough. Um, and I called my partner, Jack, and he was a little sick as well. And I noticed I was coughing. I thought it was because I'd been to the beach a few days earlier. I thought I was coughing from like leftover sand in my throat. But then I started to get a little I, I started to get a little upper respiratory infection uh later in the week and then uh Libby and her girlfriend Melissa who y'all met last week uh texted me asking uh about Garf and I said Garf by the way is my cat Garfunkel um he's a tenor uh, <laughs> but you, Melissa texted me about uh, possibly asking if I could pick up Garf from the vet and I was just like I'm so sorry I'm not feeling well and then um, and then our thought was oh shit does she have coronavirus do we need to get tested what is going on because you know in the time of Rona you can't hear somebody say oh I'm feeling under the weather and not think about that <laughs> yeah I don't know why that completely went over my head like I wasn't even thinking I, I was just saying like oh I flew I kind of have like flu like symptoms because I thought I had the flu because it was just um I was just coughing so much yeah and then I ended up accidentally closing their store down yeah, so for the way a few that, days that, the way that ran down was uh I called my manager my manager called his bosses they were like oh no if that girl even thinks she has Rona we need to shut down the store you all need to go get tested so then we ran around all Thursday <laughs> trying to get to clinics trying to go get the rapid test and the lab test and just whatever test we could get so we could be 100 percent sure that we didn't have Rona 
I mean, I'm happy I gave you guys a couple of days off of work, but what I was just like, wow, I did not know I was going to close down the whole fucking store. Yeah, Bethany really uh, shook Rothy's to their core. Um, they weren't prepared. Uh, but afterwards, they were like, we really appreciate, um, you know, how professionally you guys handled this. We really appreciate um, the fact that we could use this as a learning opportunity for the entire company. So, you know, in the end, it all worked out. Yeah. But we were all scared for like a day um, while we were trying to figure out if we all had Miss Rona um, visiting us. Uh, So on a scale of Fire Nation Man to Sparky Sparky Boom Man. (laughs) What does that even mean? Or Combustion Man, actually. Remember Fire Nation Man when Toph battled the guy who was like, Fire Lord. Oh, yeah. My flame burns for thee. The really lame, like, earthbender. Yes. Yeah. The the homage to, like, fake Russian wrestlers <laughs> in WWE. Oh, my God. No. But uh, what were we talking about? Gosh. On a scale of Fire Nation Man to Sparky Sparky Boom Man. How was that experience? Um, You know, I have a question about this scale because I feel like, which one's the bad one? Like, disappointing (laughs) or terrifying? Disappointing to terrifying? How was my experience? Um, Like, how hard was it to, like... Uh, difficulty scale so fighting fire nation man versus fighting combustion man because it's really easy Uh, to fight fire nation man it's very hard to fight combustion man i would say it's uh, this week was like fighting toff as the melon lord (laughs) um it was hard it was scary but at the end of the day it was harmless it was just a test like the melon lord that's good a big flaming boulder just missed you yeah (laughs) it just missed me yay well that's great our topic today would you like to announce what our what our top you may have known by the title i mean yeah you probably read the title i don't know what title it is at this point because i'll probably come up with it like three minutes before i upload um (laughs) okay what's our topic today libby so our topic today is legend of Korra and why it's kind of fucking awesome (laughs) and why everyone else needs to hop off our dicks um and i feel like it's a kind of controversial topic just because the avatar fandom is so divided over Korra. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot because of sexism, you know, how it be. Uh, but I think when it comes to Korra, it's one of those shows that will cause entire threads on Facebook groups and Reddit groups to like get taken down or disabled because there's so much fighting and bullying of people, whether you're pro Korra or anti Korra. Yeah. I just, that it's so annoying. Like how many people are so dedicated to hating Korra? Yeah. It's a great show. I mean, I'll admit when I first watched it, like I wasn't too into it, but I think it's because I had such an an attachment to avatar that like it was hard for me it it was like kind of the same as i played um paper mario a lot growing up um 
And when Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door came out, I did not like the uh, little sidekicks, the partners that came with the Thousand Year Door because I was like, where the fuck is Bomb Betty? Where is what? Like, I just, I missed those other, those other partners so much. Right. Your nostalgic feeling for how Paper Mario should be versus what the new iteration was. Exactly. But then when I watched Korra, like, of course, I was very judgmental comparing it to Avatar. But when you look at it just from which is why Bree's going to be a very good guest, because she was actually into Korra before she was into Avatar. Mm-hmm. But she's like a huge anime nerd and she really loves complex plot lines. Mm-hmm. And I really, really... I I thought Korra was complex and beautiful. Like, it was not like Avatar, but that's the point. Well, I think the major differences I saw in the actual composition of Korra and its storylines and its arcs compared to Avatar is that you have season arcs instead of an actual full show arc. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think that's where some people tend to get frustrated with Korra in terms of the writing is like you know you defeat the big bad by the end of the first season and then now you have a new big bad in season two that just kind of comes out of nowhere in some people's minds which I can agree with that on some level like Unavatu was a whole thing and I really enjoyed season two but I understand why it kind of felt almost lazy Mm -hmm. in a way that he just kind of shows up out of nowhere as her like surprise uncle that you've never heard of before and then from the first scene that he was in you're just kind of like this guy's bad (laughs) yeah i i think part of me was so frustrated with cora as a person in season two because it took her so long to realize that unalak was bad oh where the way she talked to her dad i was just like the disrespect the disrespect but also She's 17. Right. Then, right? That's yeah. super fair. I definitely talked off to my dad when I was 17. Yeah, and I mean, I think in defense of Cora and her disrespect on her father is... Dis- oh my God. Is, is if you remember how disrespectful Katara was to Hakoda just all the time. She oh, was that's very Just because she had so much resentment of the fact that he left when they were young and like left them basically to raise one another. So um, I think I see that quite a bit in in that relationship. I see that kind of mirrored in it, especially since in Tanrock's case, um, he was the exact opposite of Hakoda because he was always there to the point of like controlling the way that she lived her life growing up. Yeah. And, And not telling her like why the White Lotus did what they decided they were going to do, basically telling her, oh yeah, Aang made all of these precautions for you. And that wasn't true at all. It was him and the White Lotus deciding how best to raise Korra as the Avatar and therefore shut her off from having these worldly experiences that could have perhaps shaped her in a a more well-equipped Avatar from the get-go. Ooh, you know something I saw that was very interesting? Because... Unalak was part of the Red Lotus and the Red Lotus is a fucking okay here's one of the reasons why Korra is fucking great is because of the villains the villains are far far superior I'm sorry to the villains in Avatar like Fire Lord Ozai is great but the Red Lotus holy shit 
Well, Fire Lord Ozai has the pizzazz. Yeah. Like, you know, Phoenix King. Never forget that he basically just gave himself his own ridiculously cartoon villain-y title. I mean, it's Mark Hamill. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mark <laughs> Hamill pulls it off. Yeah. But it's like, oh, let me get a new extravagant outfit, and I'm going to call myself the Phoenix King, and that's the peak of my evil doing. I feel like the Korra villains are much more like Azula. They have layers. They have reasons why they're bad, whereas Ozai was just kind of a bad egg from the get-go. You know what I totally picture? Okay, Mark Hamill. It's really interesting that you talk about the Phoenix King name because I totally picture Mark Hamill. They just, they saved up a bunch of fucking money. They decided to use it to get Mark Hamill. And Mark Hamill's just sitting in the booth and he's just, what show is this? And then they're just like, just do a bad guy and then be the Joker again. (laughs) Just be the, just just be a generic bad guy and he just starts going off and going off and going off and then he's just like I'm the Phoenix King and they're like okay I guess we'll just roll with that I'll rise from the ashes I'm the Phoenix King (laughs) (laughs) oh okay I guess we gotta write that in now um we already called him the Fire Lord but uh yeah 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 the villains the Red Lotus specifically it's just because you felt bad for them and you felt because what they wanted at their heart which is why the villains in Legend of Korra are really good is because I mean Toph explains it at the very end like they each wanted something that was actually a good thing but they just went too far with it their methods were wrong yeah like i mean the red lotus is obviously an evil group but you have a fucking like woman who was abused as a child and used as a weapon you have another woman who doesn't have any arms yeah and she's a master like you have another guy that has a really rare gift that was probably used as a weapon again like you have people that were imprisoned or like used as ammo and It's just, I think that's the reason why they were, it's the same reason why Zuko made a really good villain is because like immediately when you saw the episode of how he got his scar, you just felt so fucking bad for him. But it's just these guys, they already were, it was interesting because they, Zuko hadn't made up his mind yet. They have made up their mind. They are so determined in this. Right. I think, I think structurally what makes the villains that much more textured and, and deep in Korra versus Avatar is that like what you were saying, they had the world's best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Amon, if you take Amon, who was such a great first season villain to really set the stage for what was to come in Korra, he took a genuine social justice issue yeah. and then abused it to get what he really wanted, which was to take a bunch of powerful benders bending away in order to to basically get back at them for wronging his father quote unquote you know so he's trying to get revenge but all the people who were following him were just these non-benders who just wanted equal rights you know and so on that one level you're like i understand why they're frustrated i imagine that if i was a shopkeeper in republic city and the triple threat triad kept stealing my shit and demanding I pay them money in order for them to not ransack my shop, I'd probably hate vendors too. Well, if you also look at a lot of the jobs that are in Legend of Korra that are in Republic City, they a lot of them require bending. Right, like when Mako is working at the um, the, the power plant. Yeah, and to be, a, to be a cop even is a lot more, like, I mean, in America, anyone can just 
join the police academy and be a cop but like to be a cop you have to have this rare ability and that's well, kind actually, of genetic but kind of not yeah um but to be like a i guess a special cop because mako was a cop too but he's a firebender i mean i totally get it like i totally get it but also benders are very very oppressed in history too like if you look at the air nomads they face an entire genocide and the waterbenders too in the southern water tribe which is another reason why core is so fucking great is because waterbending it it has always been too powerful like it's it i don't like to say too powerful because waterbending is awesome but like if you watch avatar waterbending is badass but it's not like fire firebending's the evil one firebending is the thing that makes the back the hairs on the back of your neck stick up but this this show dived so deep into how fucking powerful the water tribes were and I thought that that was amazing because it showed how powerful bloodbending can be. Mm-hmm. You can literally stop someone's bending abilities. Yeah. And you can literally like block all their chi because I think that's how they do their bending is it through the chi. It seems like it's part, it's part bloodbending and it's part energy bending is what it seems like because what the lion turtles do, that's energy bending. And what Aang learned how to do, that's energy bending. And then Korra learns how to do at the end with, uh, the end of season two with Unavatu <laughs> it was essentially energy bending. Which I don't know how he got that because the lion turtle bestowed the energy bending upon Aang. Yeah, he taught him how to do it. So I don't know how, um, how Amon did that. Well, it seems like it's kind of a, a backdoor, a workaround, like a, a loophole to learn how to energy bend is using blood bending. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's possible just because like, like if you look at the chi blockers mm-hmm. and they, and they block people's chi, they can't they bend. They can temporarily not bend, but yeah. it seems like Amon uses it to basically permanently block it, which seems like that's how Korra is able to restore it is by realigning their chi and letting it flow again. But um, I think to talk about what you were touching on with the waterbending, um, I always felt like the most OP bending is combustion bending. Like, I just feel like that... (laughs) How does that... Why have we never gotten any kind of explanation or history on that? Right. Yeah, like, where does the tattoo come from? Is the... do you get it if you figure out that you can do it or do Is you it like a witcher thing and you go through a mutation process like <laughs> these I don't are know. good questions these are the real questions we should be answering um but i uh, like so when i first watched avatar i thought that the most op bending was combustion bending was combustion man um, because there was just no real way to get away from him. Although it ended, the one thing I will say about combustion bending that's so hilarious in a way is that the the thing that got him was a pebble to the forehead, you know, just a teeny yeah. tiny rock yeah. shot at it, made him blow himself up. Well, I guess if a rock fell into your eye, wouldn't that hurt? <laughs> like real well, bad? Yes, but, like, yeah. but would it make you blow yourself up, Baps? I guess that's the one weakness to it. Yeah, as if you damaged your third eye. Yeah, and like, oh my god. Legend of Korra, I, like, I know some people are watching Legend of Korra on Netflix for the first time, but it was much darker when it came out on Nick.com. Like, yeah, there's definitely some stuff they censored. Yeah, you like saw the deaths. Like anyone who has not seen it 
on which we both have seen it on nick.com yeah they showed the death like they showed please head blowing up inside of there like you didn't see it but you just saw the metal wrap around and then i noticed when i watched the netflix version i was like wait a minute that that was different because i remember seeing the metal wrapped around her head and seeing it blow up right and i remember we also talk about this um uh with brie but um about the earth queen seeing the air being pulled out of her lungs until she dies and suffocates on screen and they cut that out like you saw but you just didn't see the moment where she died like you did see the suffocating in the original episode Mm -hmm. and that was very interesting to me because i was like like what it's so like it, you know that's another reason why legend of Korra is so good is because it grew up with the avatar fans it was meant for people who were like 17 18 at the time right and i think that's hard to pull off when you're broadcasting it on a channel that is meant for younger kids yeah so it's hard when you have your target audience is different than what the target audience of your channel is of what your network is yeah um but I think that is one of the things that I admire about Cora in that vein of talking about mature storylines and themes. Cora um, really pushed the envelope and pushed Nick's buttons in quite a a few ways because they they were like you know not only are younger kids going to be watching this but the kids who grew up on avatar are going to be watching this you know the teenagers the young adults and so we want to make something that speaks to everyone is going to be watching this we don't want to treat them with kid gloves much like how they pushed back on that for the original avatar series mm-hmm. And I think that made me love it more and respect it more. And there are a lot of young kids who love Korra. Yeah. Even with the darker themes. Yeah. Because kids like to know the truth. They really do. Like, I babysat for a long time. Kids just like to know. Like, they just like to know everything. And although there's some stuff that, like, you should wait for them to see. I don't know. I'm not a parent. I don't fucking know. But, um, I... Yeah, I just think that there's no problem with challenging kids. There's really no problem with that. And yeah, and the gay the the, the gay s- storyline, uh, people always trash that. And I'm like, it's so realistic. They're like, it's at the end. It doesn't matter. It's like, but, but you you just you see it develop throughout the last season. Yeah. So it is a slow burn in that way. Like, yes, was it left to the very end? Yes, did they not kiss on screen? Sure, but that wasn't really the writer's fault I'm sure they would have loved to put a kiss right there as they entered the spirit portal I thought they were going to (laughs) it's in the comics and it's wonderful and beautiful but um what I really loved about their relationship was that it was it was so real it wasn't like a it, it, it was one that developed like very realistically in a million other TV shows that have these relationships that kind of are this is my true love this is my soulmate talking about you Glee like it's just that's not very realistic mm-hmm. like you don't look at someone and automatically be like we're going to be in a full-fledged relationship you are the love of my life the only one for me sometimes you don't know sometimes you meet someone and you just don't know and someone just 
changes over time and you stumble into love you stumble yeah like that's exactly that's exactly what i mean like it's it's very very interesting to me like just because it's it's very realistic with mako and asami and mako and cora they really tried to force that to force that to happen mm-hmm. we're not on the we we've covered ships already we've covered that already yeah we but, uh, alienated <laughs> all of you guys yeah i just last really episode. i just admired how realistic it was cora was so realistic besides the bending duh and like the entire world but it, it was just it was the relationships were very realistic mm-hmm. i think also the cast as a whole were were stronger deeper characters like they the voice acting was just so much more um rich and had a lot of levels and it was every character really felt true to themselves in their voice acting as well and i think there were some strong heavy hitters in avatar but i think the not to bash on the voice actors because i do love them and i love voice acting as a profession but i mean i feel like as an ensemble in cora there's just a lot more uh depth there i mean you can't get better than jk simmons okay you just can't he's everybody's cool dad everybody's cool dad who's just smarter than everyone else like he's the smartest coolest dad yeah like also Tenzin and his siblings I that was probably my favorite part of season two was seeing their relationship and learning that Aang was not the best dad yeah that was very interesting to me and you know it's funny because it's kind of controversial a lot of people in the fandom they're like Aang would have been the best dad and it's like okay sometimes really great people have a hard time growing up maturing and nurturing another person even at 160 years old um but yeah that's very true just because uh, i feel like people put way too much pressure on parents for some reason have like a lot of pressure to be the perfect parents duh because you want to give your child the best life possible but the realistic thing is that nobody's the perfect parent everybody fucks their kid up in some way well, you know what i think is also really realistic is that there's no way that the avatar can be the best at everything yeah. and if the avatar has to be, be the balance in the world and to be this peacemaker and this huge political figure he's not going to be the most present father that's just yeah. like a given yeah and you definitely know by just by their ages that Bumi is significantly older than Kaya, and also Kaya is significantly older than Tenzin. Yeah. You'd definitely tell they were trying to get an airbender, and when they found out they didn't have one, they were just like, okay, let's have another child. Okay, let's have another child. And they finally got one, which, of course, that was Aang's dream to rebuild the urination because it was ripped away from him, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, that kind of pressure... Yeah. Also, and it wasn't just like he treated Tenzin like the best child ever. You could definitely tell, like, I'm really happy they didn't make, they, they made Tenzin nothing like Aang. Yeah. Like absolutely nothing like Aang because the way he was raised, how would he be? Because he's not, no person is their parents. But with this entire nation on his shoulders, that's like learning that as a kid, being told that your entire life by your father, very close relationship and you know you just want to make sure that you're living up to your father's name and legacy there's a fucking statue of your dad outside of your house every day just looking at you being like 
are you making my dreams come true? Like, yeah, because I think like that's something that our generation all has a lot of pressure of is that we want to make sure that, you know, our parents have the best life possible. Our parents dreams come true. Like that's always been like a, yeah. No, I think that's definitely a very realistic theme to weave into Tenzin's story is that like, there are so many good people who end up not being the best parents who then go on to push their dreams on their kids. I mean, it's like a very common trope in writing, especially with when it comes to family stories. One of the conversations I appreciated most in season two was when uh, Janora or Iki, when Iki goes missing and then uh, Bumi and Kaya and Tenzin go out to try and find her. Um, it is so fascinating to hear them talk about that and he like will mention a vacation that he went on with Aang and then they said I don't remember that because I wasn't there don't you remember dad used to take you on all those vacations by yourselves to the air temples and getting to hear their you know pent up aggression and pent up feelings that they haven't expressed their entire lives is just such a a meaty scene as like an actor to kind of dig into and and find all those hidden meanings and and the layers and the I don't know just the stuff that's under the surface that really watching that like later on that really broke my heart like when I rewatched Cora hearing them see like no, I didn't go on those vacations with dad. Also hearing Boomy say he never felt like he was part of the air nation. Well, cause also like if you're not a waterbender, if you're, if your parents, if you're a non-bender and your mother is the greatest waterbender in the world and your father's the avatar, yeah, that's gotta be pretty fucking shit. Yeah. Like, I'm glad he became an airbender later, but like, fuck. Well, he had to prove himself in other ways. So he became a general and or he joined the United Forces. He He rose in ranks and he tried to prove himself in any way he could. Oh, yeah. It's probably why he like acted out a lot as a kid. He probably just wanted to get his parents attention. Hmm. (laughs) It's very. Yeah. But Boomy, fuck. What a great character. So let's talk about the world in which Korra exists and the time periods. Because I think another thing that gets overlooked a lot is that very fun steampunk uh, vibe in the time period. The fucking cars and the radios. I love it so much. My favorite device they use, um, and I know this is a very small thing, but I love the radio announcer doing the um, the like previously on Avatar kind of thing where he, he announces it like a 1920s radio announcer. Yes, and they listen to everything on the radio. That's so cool. Like the styling of Korra is fucking amazing. The one, one thing I'll also add to that about the time period is oh, the soundtrack. The way that they blend the vibes of like this kind of, they use traditional instruments and they make a nice, fun, kind of swingy 1920s vibe to it. Like all the chase scenes have just the most fun music. Oh my God. I fucking freaked the hell out. The, when she's first in Republic City and she's being chased by the police officers or she's being chased by someone I forget but oh, um, when she's leaving the park because they were fishing 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's that, like, she's running through the city on Naga. <laughs> and it sounds so fucking cool. Yeah, that just, like, um, yeah, the music is amazing. I think stylistically, they fucking hit it on the mark. Because if they would have made something that was kind of in the similar world, we would have felt like, uh. So they knew they had to, like, fucking amp up everything else just to keep people interested. And they did an amazing job at that. Like, Jeremy Zuckerman's a fucking genius. Like, the, just all the sounds in avatar fucking amazing and he used like real like a real uh thumb piano for the do 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 oh i love the end credit music so much yeah and my favorite thing probably about the first season is the pro bending because that's totally what they were leaning towards because they hinted at it in how uh, they did earth rumble six uh, where they met Toph, the blind bandit and I just loved, I loved how they like evolved that into pro bending. It's pro bending is the coolest fucking thing. It's so cool. I think it's also fun to see how the bending styles evolved throughout the the years. Kind of portrayed more directly with Bolin teaching Korra how to pro bend, saying like, "Oh no, that's like old school. You gotta make your stance a little bit more light on your feet. You gotta get your feet closer together." You can't take such a wide stance, otherwise you're gonna get knocked out. You gotta be light on your feet. And like basically doing the the you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee kind of thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's very it, it I mean, obviously, it's supposed to remind you of vintage boxing back in the day, but but it's just very fun to to see the the art forms evolve because it's like, yes, is pro bending not as artful and not as like a dance as the bending in Avatar? Of course not. No. But there's something amazing about being so reactive and being so quick to dodge and being so um, evasive. Like, it's almost as though they took Aang's stance and and the airbender's stance of, like, being more evasive and being more um, passive in fighting and just being reactive instead of active. Yeah. Um, And applied that to all the different styles of bending. And it's fascinating to see how it's, like... I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's fun to see, like, how they all kind of, I don't know, were influenced by airbending in a way. Yeah. Well, especially when you have the air acolytes and just like more airbending coming up more and being more of like a public figure. Yeah. I I guess that's how it evolved. Like now that you have airbenders present in the world, like a lot of people had never seen an airbender like and had no idea what airbenders were like. Yeah. Because I mean, Cause they got, hadn't seen them for 100 years. Yeah. And like you hadn't uh, I mean, like Katara didn't even know. Like, do you remember how Katara didn't even know? that Aang was an airbender like just by looking at him he had to airbend to be an airbender yeah heard like stories but I mean they didn't have TVs or anything or pictures or whatever but also love how they have like cameras and like photographs oh yes (laughs) and then and then the the development of um movers yeah the movers that was amazing it went on for way too long but it did did go on for a little too long it it was great the bit kind of faded it lost its uh its sheen over time because you were just kind of like okay we get it Bolin's a moving a mover star we get it (laughs) and one last that how badly did you want to live in the metal clan oh oh so badly (laughs) I mean they just 
they seem so safe and yeah. they seem so open to the arts. I loved I yeah. loved the metal bending ballet. Yeah. In the that very was beginning. So cool. That was so beautiful. It was so fun to see how a relatively new bending style influenced culture so much. Um and it made me love Sue so much and because I mean, yeah, the, the metal fights. bending fights like with uh Kuvira and Su Yen Beifang. Mm. Holy shit. Those were amazing fights. Like how they fucking were just like you put two metal benders on a fucking giant piece of metal like ship or something it's going to go down. Holy shit, you better get out of the way or you're going to get like stabbed. <laughs> like <laughs> Okay, anything else you want to touch on? Um I love rebuilding the Air Nation. That was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yes. Being able to see Aang's dream finally come true and just feeling that moment of of Tenzin having that I I hope my dad's proud of me kind of feeling that was so, so beautiful because I feel like even though Aang really is only present in the show and flashbacks and like two scenes with Korra, his spirit is present in so much of it. And I think that's what I appreciate a lot is that he's got that that kind of, uh, he's kind of ever present in the back of your mind while you're watching it. Cause you're just like, you see Korra go to Katara and, and you, you feel Aang there just in their love for one another. The and way she looks at Korra. Oh my God. It's so beautiful. Like you can just see like Katara. I want Katara to be my grand grand. Me too. I want her to be my grand grand. Um, um, I think in addition to all we've spoken about, I think at the end of the day, the main issue that people have with Cora is Cora. <laughs> yes. And I think that that nonsense needs to end because as a queer person, I find so much um, inspiration mm-hmm. in seeing Cora be such a unapologetic badass who she is she's been beaten down she goes through so much emotional trauma mm-hmm. and physical trauma too but oh my God. um the fact that she she gets back up and it takes her a really long time <laughs> after book three but you know you see her bounce back and I think that resiliency is what I admire so much and then I also admire the as a bisexual which we both are I find Cora's journey to her sexual orientation so inspiring and refreshing since I feel like so many queer stories there has to be a specific coming out moment and there has to be like like the whole thing is that they're hiding it and you feel like you need to hide it and I think that while some of that can be good intent like it could have good intentions behind it I think that it can also bring across this idea that you should feel like you need to hide it yeah. And that it's something to be ashamed of instead of something that you just casually can express. Yeah, it's like, uh, people, coming out is not a, a like, it's a good thing to do, I guess, but it's not in general a good thing like it's it's awful that people can't it's awful that you need to come out it's awful that you need to like 
And I like I really hate it when people make a big spectacle out of someone coming out because I'm like, this is a very private thing for them. And it's a very some people just want to want to come out, have everybody for the most part, queer people just want to people to just not care. Like, you know what I mean? Just to not care. And the the fact that Cora like really uh, she discovered who she truly loved when she truly helped herself and when she focused on herself first and that's why I love that storyline so much and I think it's so realistic because I think I mean both of us know like love comes much easier when you work on yourself yeah it's it's the I know RuPaul has got some problematic issues about himself like in the queer community um but I will say one of my favorite quotes in the whole wide world is honey if you don't love yourself how the hell are you gonna love anybody else can I I get an amen yeah amen <laughs> and yeah and like she she yeah she felt like a failure she felt like awful and she needed to just face her demons before she was ready to truly love someone and and that was Asami and that, that's why it was so realistic to me like it was just like of course it didn't work out with Mako because she didn't because a they weren't right together and she couldn't see that they weren't right together she finally did but she had to do a lot of self-discovery before she saw that and people love to hate on queer women for some reason people love to like fetishize and just treat queer women as if they're like weaker people in the like queer community there is more of a preference towards like supporting gay men white gay men specifically but we just need to especially queer women of color we need to just support we need to support them more right honestly like because it's people just automatically love to hate on queer women of color because that's where our society has taught us And I love that by the end and then, you know, further into the comics, you realize this is a story about a queer woman of color. Yeah. And it's not all about her relationship. It's not all about coming out. It's about her becoming the best, a fully realized avatar. Mm -hmm. It's just about her. And she's overcoming PTSD. Yeah. That's also something I, I wanted to touch on, like as a person who has experience with PTSD and very hard to deal with traumas I I appreciate seeing her struggle and I appreciate that they didn't romanticize her demons and her issues Mm. um, because I think there is a romanticizing there's a romanticizing of trauma in literature and films and TV that it's like good to be damaged and like it's good to be edgy and dark like um like Meredith in Grey's Anatomy and uh, and Christina being like oh we're dark and twisty like that's our our thing you know and and people eat that shit up but I think being able to see the raw ugly truth of dealing with trauma especially in a kid's show Mm -hmm. is so beautiful and moving and inspiring and it really gives me hope for generations the generations after us who love Korra and grew up watching Korra to feel like it's okay to talk about your feelings and it's okay to not be okay all the time yeah and that it's okay to be a little selfish for a bit and figure out your own shit before you try and help other people yeah and that 
is why I love Cora so much. And you know what? You know what's really interesting about Cora is that I almost like this is going to be such a controversial thing to say. Like off of what you just said, I almost like just don't think there should be an avatar after watching Cora. Does that make sense? Like, I think the avatar existing is great, but like, why would you put the pressure of keeping the entire world in balance on one person? Yeah. Someone that a lot of people want to kill. Someone that a lot that wanted to just be a normal person and go out into the world, but she was protected a lot Mm -hmm. for good reason, because a lot of people wanted to kill her because if the red Lotus would have raised her, Oh God, that would have been bad. That would have been very bad. But a lot of people want to use and abuse and manipulate even the president. Like she had gotten rid of that giant force of darkness. She got Robert ripped right out of her and destroyed. She became that giant blue. And still after that, he was like, there are vines in our city. Yeah, I almost was like, why does this, like the Avatar existing, that's great. But why would you put this kind of pressure on one person? Why can't there be many people? Or why, I almost like didn't want like the job of the Avatar to exist anymore. Does that make sense? No, I I completely get that. I think that there could have been a moment, an opportunity in season two for that to happen because, you know, she got disconnected from Rava. Um. I think which that would have been if they would have kept it as she's disconnected from Rava. Mm-hmm. How interesting would that have been? Because then she's the last avatar. Right. God, <laughs> that would have been like very interesting. Like, I, I don't want the avatar to not exist. Like, that's like I almost was like, what? This job is too much for one person. Yeah. Especially one person at the age of like 16. Yeah. And, and, and you're stuck with the job from the time you're born. Yeah. So. And the one job is to keep balance. Who the fuck can do that? It's, like, it's a never-ending battle. Yeah. Well, I mean, Juan was the first one, and he, in his mind, he was like, I'm sorry, Rava, I failed. Um, and so it's like it's been ever since then, it's been this never-ending task to bring balance. But yeah, the world never stays in balance for, for long. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why you need to have everyone in check keeping balance and not just rely on one person to just yeah. get rid of all the to get rid of all the bad people to keep well, everyone in check. Well, I guess that's why check. you need Team Avatar. <laughs> yeah, that's why you need Team Avatar. But yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Like, did you did you kind of feel it? Do you get what I mean? And do you kind of Yeah, well, I think that's why I loved the Red Lotus as a uh, as a group of villains because they had a point they're like do we really need an avatar Mm. and oh yeah that's kind of the point that they had didn't they yeah well they're they're, (laughs) i was like okay wait i'm agreeing with the red lotus now well no no no. that's what that's what makes them so interesting is that they have valid reasonings just like how the equalists had valid reasonings Mm -hmm. and just like how kuvira had some valid thoughts of like we just want to bring the earth kingdom to uh an era of peace you know like we want to make sure it's not a kingdom anymore you know like monarchy is dead and and all this stuff it's it's real issues that we have dealt with in the actual human world (laughs) and they're things that are not a black and white issue. They're things where, you know, you can, there are good points on both sides. Yeah. And I think that's what I appreciated most about the Red Lotus, about season three, was that it's, 
it's an issue that you're going to grapple with as a viewer. And I think when it comes to Avatar, why it is a little bit more for kids is that while they deal with very adult issues like genocide and, and yeah. you know, murder, <laughs> um, I, I shouldn't laugh when I say that, um, but, <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes things are just very, so dark, you just have to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like this current world that we live in um i think though what i was trying to say was that although they deal with really dark topics the actual villain the ultimate big bad no one's going to get behind his mission and i said this in the first episode like you're you're never going to or at least you hope that when kids were watching it they're not going to point to ozai and say oh yeah i want to be ozai yeah that's what i want to be when i grow up you hope that that doesn't happen but it most likely will never happen because you can't sympathize with pure evil mm-hmm. and that's what ozai was like there was no uh, layers to him there were no reasonings that you could even get behind or or rationalize yeah it was just pure evil and i think what's great about cora is that it makes you grapple with who's right and who's wrong and is there anyone in the right or in the wrong here let's let's just jump into that interview i i hope you guys enjoy it i think it was we had a great time we had a very great time lots of laughs lots of memories i cried no i didn't okay (laughs) segue okay we'll have our interview with brie right after these messages from our sponsors This episode is brought to you by Future Industries. Future Industries, the official sponsor of domestic terrorist organizations since 170 AG. You know, because of mom. So this is a very, very special day on the pod because we have our... First, technically second, because we had Melissa on the last episode. Yes, we did have yes. Melissa on for a game. She started out on Broadway as a who in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. She then went on to be some of your favorite inanimate objects from your childhood, such as the dictionary and Blue's Clues. And then finally, she has starred as Molly in Bubble Guppies, that show that all your kids seem to watch, but you don't exactly understand what it's about. Yeah, that show's won Emmys. She has helped win Emmys. She is a star, but most importantly, she was Britta Bean on Queens Who Quest, my Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Everyone welcome, Brianna Gentilella. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I've loved the podcast so far. It's so fun and I can't wait to talk about stuff and get into it. Yes. One of the reasons, uh, a few different reasons why I thought you'd make a great guest is because I remember when uh, Cora was actually still going on, I wasn't actually watching Cora, And because I had like watched a few episodes like a couple years earlier and didn't really like it, but you actually mm-hmm. loved Cora before everyone else did, even the hardcore Avatar fans. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of did it a little backwards, if I'm being honest. My history with the show is weird. I, I you know, it's weird, even weirder to say that Avatar The Last Airbender started in 2005. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> As a kid, I would watch it like on and off kind of when I was homesick from school. I think the first episode that actually like struck with me, though, was uh the Serpent's Pass episode and I was like very emotionally like I was like crying at home like a little 
10 year old. I, I can't do the math. I think I was like 10. <laughs> um, and I was like crying at home watching this episode. And then I kind of watched it out of order. But, you know, we kind of grew with the show. So when Cora came on, I was really invested in it by then. And I watched it completely in order the whole time. Oh, yeah. Right. And that makes a lot of sense for you because you're a huge anime fan and you really like the edgier animes. And yes. yeah, you like stuff that's kind of like steampunky. And it was so. Yeah, oh for sure. It totally fits in that world because it it became all like, you know, we had like a republic now. And it's right. It they have the, the air balloons, the yeah. <laughs> patrolling the city, very steampunk of them. But yeah. also, yeah. I mean, like I completely understand why you didn't watch Avatar all the way through because I feel like when it came out when we were kids the concept of like binge watching a show was not a thing yet mm-hmm. and yeah. you had to like catch it while it was on TV mm-hmm. so there That's wasn't really a that lot we can say that oh watching yeah it all later unless you got the DVD after the yeah. season came out oh yeah which I did have and, uh, I did get you were it. you were probably a little busy you know uh, <laughs> on Broadway and Blue's Clues and shit like that yeah and but I remember, like, specifically when I was homesick from school, they they would, like, play episode after episode on, like, Nicktoons and, like, Nick, um, like, Teen Nick and things like that. Mm-hmm, and I, mm-hmm. I would, I guess I would do, like, the first version of binging, which was, like, laying in bed all day and watching episode after episode. Yeah. Right. Those marathons. But it was out of yeah. <laughs> Those marathon. But that makes a lot of sense because um when binge I feel like when binge culture kind of became a thing was when they put episodes like on nick.com and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And on websites like cuz I remember going to cartoonnetwork.com and like watching stuff and disneychannel.com yeah. and yeah. disneychannel.com <laughs> and and all of that jazz. So, um yeah, Brie, we got a lot of avatar related questions for you and also a lot of life related questions for you. It's just going to be like one big therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Therapy you don't have to pay for. (laughs) Therapy that's public. My favorite. My favorite. (laughs) Bree, since you really got your first uh, start in like the voiceover world, um, how do you think that shaped you as an actor growing up? Like, do you feel as though that kind of impacted your journey as an actor? I love that question. Um, Yeah, I think I think I didn't really know a lot of the when I was younger. I, I was like, oh, I'm doing this on the radio but what is the radio like I don't listen to the radio or yeah I did a commercial but where is that like I, I never saw it really it wasn't until I got into doing like actual animation that I kind of fell in love with it I guess I mean it's it's like one of those things that's always been a rock solid foundation for me because it doesn't matter what I look like and it doesn't matter like how I'm perceived, I can just like get in the booth and do my job and make people feel things and tell a story with just my voice. And I kind of loved that. And I think I loved anime and cartoons and shows like um, Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra because I could like see that and I wanted to do that. Basically. Does that ever like change the way you perceive shows or like judge shows, I guess? Like, you know, being like having as much voiceover experience as you do. Like, yeah, I mean, like from time to time, I mainly 
I watch shows. Sometimes I watch shows just because I love the voice actors and I'll follow their journey and I'll look them up and see what projects they're working on. And or I'll follow like an animation studio like the one that did Legend of Korra and Avatar. Like they did Voltron and they have like new ones coming out all the time, producing new ones. So I guess I mean, I don't think I judge them. (laughs) I like them. I mean, you know. I think they're all great. And I like the choices people make. They're choices, basically. Mm, yeah, the voice actors like in Avatar and Legend of Korra, definitely like it's especially like Mako and Dante Bosco. Like they just it's so rich. And so, yeah, they just they just I don't know. You feel like they're there. Like it's insane. Like I feel like voice acting is one of the hardest things to do just yeah. because you don't really have any like like you were saying earlier before this even started like there's not even another person in there usually so yeah could you explain that process so basically usually for animation you're in a room um very small room with soundproofing and a microphone and the people who are directing you are on the other side of the studio by a soundproof wall <laughs> and you basically you do your own lines in three takes, they call them take ABC. And if they want like another one, they will direct you specifically for one particular kind of read, like an emphasis on a different word. Or what I had to do a lot was they would say, give us three random giggles. So I'd have to like in the room by myself, just be like, okay, sure. Here's take A. <laughs> here's take B. <laughs> here's take so B. <laughs> like things like that. Like three random giggles, um, which is fun in its own weird way. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you had to uh, you had a voiceover audition and we were like in our dorm room and I just walk in and then I hear you're just like in the closet and you're just like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need some deadened deadened sound so closets are good and oh, so especially good. with the coronavirus you have to get a little bit more creative unless yeah. you have a studio in your basement like you do i wanted to ask about your opinion um on the vo actors in the avatar world uh think that they were the best people for the job in terms of both legend of Korra and then separately avatar um I uh, I think when I again like when I watched Avatar I was like kind of did not really know too much about voice acting so much like I I was like oh, I'm fine with Katara and I definitely I was like I've heard Aang around in other things and then I was like completely in love with Zuko <laughs> who isn't at the time I was who like isn't? in love with Zuko I was I was a Zuko girl um so like they I thought they all fit and I loved the voice actor for rewatching it. I love the voice actor for Uncle Iroh. Loved him. Um and for for Cora, I I think I definitely liked the actress who did Cora cuz she definitely got like the tough and rumble kind of like cuz she's like I said she's like uh Ooh, <laughs> kind of Janet Varney. Yeah, like I thought she yeah. did it. I liked her. Um, and again, like, because I was a Zuko girl, I was a Mako girl, so I loved him too. (laughs) Super, super fair. Yeah, I was like, I mean, come on, eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mako's eyebrows. Game on fleek. I don't know if you guys noticed, but in this one episode, I think in, in season three, he's like getting ready in front of the mirror and he's like doing his hair and he just like, he's like looking at himself in the mirror and he literally flicks his eyebrows so that they do that funny eyebrow shape. <laughs> I was like, how is this not a meme? He flicked his eyebrows. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And oh. I liked the I liked the voice actress of um, voice actor of sorry of Tenzin. So when did you first watch Avatar or Korra? Like, wh- or when did you first watch Korra? Korra was when it was on. So I think it was 2012. I was in high school, and it was on like I think it was like Sundays. So I would watch every Sunday, like morning ish. There was new episodes. Mm. And I'd sit down in front of the TV. And I'd watch them. <laughs> what was your immediate thoughts? Like, what brought you into the series? Like, what did you like about it? Um, I guess because I loved anime so much and I'm also a big superhero comic nerd. Like, I love DC and Marvel. It was kind of like, ooh, it's like they're kind of superheroes. They kind of have superpowers with the bending. And when I was younger, I took um, karate. <laughs> But it was it was a specific karate. It was called Kapatid Martial Arts. It was Filipino kickboxing karate. So I didn't often pretend I was a waterbender because that was more like Tai Chi kind of. I was more like an earthbender because it was like kicking and pounding and grappling and stuff like that. So I, I was really into it because of that because I was like, I took karate. And then, oh my God, you're such a waterbender, <laughs> like such a Pisces. At water heart, sign. yeah, I'm definitely a waterbender. I think. Um, and I don't know. I was really drawn into Cora because Cora, Cora looked like me, and I was really excited for that because I was like, you, we had Katara in the first season, who kind of represented that. But I was so excited when the next Avatar was like a female badass, and she was like from the waterbender tribe, and she like kicked first and asked questions later and I like the second I saw her I was like I'm cosplaying as her like tomorrow I'm doing it and I did do it it was a pretty successful cosplay <laughs> yeah at comic-con yeah <laughs> yes we'll post pictures of it on our instagram yeah because yeah, brie like is a huge like comic-con person it was so funny yeah. when we uh around the time we first became roommates i remember um we talked about this earlier brie was just <laughs> like um bethany i have a secret for you and i was like what is it and she was just like i can't tell you and for like 20 (laughs) minutes was just going like Brie that's why I was laughing a little when she said I'm a huge anime nerd I was like um she was just like I was just like Brie what is it and it's 10 minutes later and she's just like I watch anime (laughs) (laughs) and yeah I was just like okay that's great (laughs) me too (laughs) it took me a long time to become like comfortable with it because now it's some series are very mainstream you know I mean, Pokemon. Everyone watches Pokemon. Indigo, like, oh, you are like a true, like, you know, all of the, all of yeah. the deep, like, hidden and crunchy roll shit. Like, you know, yeah, all like, of yeah. that shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's like stigma about watching anime, I think, in America, especially. Like, oh, you must be just a nerdy little boy. Yeah, exactly. 
And I was like, I don't know. My sister would tease me about it. And I was I was very like guarded about the topic of anime because I thought I was like, oh, no, I'm the biggest nerd. People are going to think I'm a nerd. I'm nervous. Ah, I'll just pretend I don't watch it. Well, I just feel but- like also <laughs> when we grew up, uh, uh, it was it was kind of lame, like anime and stuff was kind of lame, like in middle school and stuff. But yeah. it seems like now it's actually like a trend. And yeah, there's a yeah. lot that's super mainstream now. Which is, when you were watching Korra and I was first getting into it, you were just like, I like Korra first. I like Korra before anyone else. And you truly did, honestly. <laughs> and yeah, yeah this yeah. this is kind of our topic for our episode. Um, why Korra is fucking great and everyone needs to shut up. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's just because I think, and I'm sure we can all kind of agree to this, is that there is that sexism kind of rooted in a lot of the the... <laughs> the negative conversations about Korra because they're like, oh, Oh, the Avatar shouldn't be a girl. Like, Kyoshi's fine, but that's because she's not the main character of the story. It's Aang. Oh, they call her like a Mary Sue. They're like, yeah. They're just like, oh, she can't do that. I don't think she's a Mary Sue. No, and it makes total sense because like, there's a theory um, from like, from like, I got the series specifically from Hello Future Me uh, that the Avatar actually reincarnates as the person that they kind of want to become that they wish they were in their past life like if they wish they had it makes total sense for Aang to reincarnate as Korra because uh, such as you know Avatar Karuk Avatar Karuk was very like carefree died at the age of 30 and Avatar Kyoshi cared a lot like cared a lot died at the age of 200 and I know that was a mistake but it's very believable because she had too much shit to do and got a lot of shit done arguably one of the best avatars ever um and then Avatar Kyoshi reincarnated as Avatar Avatar Kyoshi didn't have too many like very strong relationships and so Avatar Roku wanted really strong relationships and so and so and so and so and so and so I think you can guess for the rest like and and Avatar Korra just reincarnated as this like person who really takes charge, someone who's like not afraid to take charge, and not someone passive, yeah, like Ang, not passive, someone who initiates battle. And I hate people that really like. I don't hate these people. I hate it when people bash Korra because it's a really good fucking show. I know, and they they go into so many new things and new types of bending and. Like, she's the first avatar that can do those types of bending. Like, she's the first avatar that metal bends. Yes. Which is amazing. And she's a super, super skilled waterbender, too. I mean, we forget that because she usually kind of leads with fire. Um, Mm -hmm. But she's a super skilled waterbender. I mean, she's a great firebender, too, because she breathes fire like the Dragon of the West. Like, (laughs) that's a hard skill. Yeah, that's a hard fucking thing to do. And she does it a lot. (laughs) She does it a lot. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I think that it's just, it's very, it's very interesting to me the way they got, um, the way they got like, I don't know, cock blocked in a way, like (laughs) because of the, (laughs) I actually jumped on the Korra bandwagon at the very end of the season that was the last season on Nickelodeon. And then I binged all of it on Nick.com and then it got released online for episodes. And I was like, oh, why did it get taken off the the actual channel? I don't know. But um, it, it definitely had to do with the fact that they uh, killed the Earth Queen in book three. Yeah, there was a death. 
Oh, yeah. And I noticed in the Netflix version, they don't have like the original death. Because you remember when it was when they showed her like die. Pulling all the air out of her lungs. Yeah, the air. They literally they showed her collapse and die. They didn't show that in the Netflix. They showed it. It's just it ended on... Um, What's his name? God. Red Lotus guy. What's his name? Zaheer. Zaheer. They Zaheer. ended it on Zaheer's face going like darkness. There was a lot of deaths in that season, though. Did they show police death? Oh, police. Because that death. that was that was scary. I was like <gasps> when it happened. Yeah. yeah. Wait. Oh, they didn't show that one. Oh, because I remember when it when it was on Nick.com. It, it actually boomed. Yeah, it exploded. Oh my god, it actually exploded. No, they didn't show that. Yeah, they didn't show that on I think the it Netflix stopped version. with like it just went over her face. Daughters. Yeah. yeah, Toph's daughters bent the metal. Yeah. But it didn't show it explode. Okay. Yeah, no, it just went around and then he was like, "Plee." Yeah. <laughs> but I don't remember it being that way cuz I remember seeing the actual death. But like Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I understand not wanting kids to watch that. <laughs> That was, that was a dark that was a dark season oh, yeah that was and oh. and then she has like trauma like and ptsd kuvira <laughs> yeah and then kuvira came along which is <laughs> but then she was like dealing with like her crippling trauma oh all throughout that season yeah so brie i actually wanted to ask you as a person of color like how did it feel to be able to see a show that was so um you know widely uh, applauded and so popular when it was you know poc forward as like all the characters all the main characters like how did that feel growing up oh yeah i mean i think when i watched avatar i kind of wasn't aware of it but watching Korra I was like super excited it was great I mean I, I'm super connected to it and I mean I was there every morning to watch it so that's got to say something right I loved that there wasn't <laughs> a single stupid white person in that entire show because I feel like white people would have ruined it although I will say that it is kind of sad that the voice actors yeah. don't exactly represent um, enough yeah. of the cultures yeah. that they pull from. That's really, that's, and yeah. I'm happy they're starting to do, like with Big Mouth, mm-hmm. um, yeah. how they, and the voice actress was completely down with it. She was just like, yes, let's please recast this role to be a person of color. Because, right. yeah, and Brie, like as a uh, person of color in the voiceover world, like, I'm sure you've seen a lot of losing a role that is a person of color to a white person. Like, I was just, I just wanted to ask, how important is it? I mean, obviously we know it's super important, but like, what's the importance of like, you know, casting people of color, like as as people of color? (laughs) Oh, um, I guess, I guess like authenticity. Like if you want it to be actually authentic, you should definitely cast, you know, people who are of color for, of color roles, but I don't know. Like, like I said, I guess it's re- representation for me. It was like not only seeing Cora look kind of like me, which was like super exciting. Mm-hmm. It could, it's like inspiring, I guess. I mean, they didn't really do it with Cora, but she did look like me <laughs> <laughs> for like the most part. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like representation, basically. Yeah, and that's what was great about Cora. I do wish the the voice the voice cast rep- reflected that yeah. but it's really nice yeah. that they're starting to it's really nice that they're starting to recognize that now for sure do you have worries going into this uh they've been doing like the casting process for the new live action about what direction they're going to take it in 
Oh, I'm a little, I mean, like, I guess I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be true to the story just because the original writers aren't going to be involved anymore. I read about that and I was like, oh, dang, because they have, they have such a really cool vision for like the world and what goes into it. So I hope, I hope it, you know, they do it justice. That's all. I'm sure they will. It's just <laughs> when I heard about the writers leaving, I was like, oh, damn. Oh, yeah. Because they like tried to make sure that Avatar, I mean, back in like 2003, which 2003, very uh, like, of course, we, we've made little progress now. But 2003 was like A very different time, very different time. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when they first started, <laughs> no, it doesn't exist in our world. Um, until we make an episode about it, then it'll exist for a brief period of time and then it won't exist again. Um, but, uh, what, what really scares me about that is the immediate thing that my brain goes to is because the, the creators have always been so outspoken about the fact that about not culturally appropriating Avatar. And back in 2003, when they were creating the show, they actually, I think it was 2003, they hired someone to, because they're aware that they're two white guys, um, making a Asian show. And they like, or uh, an American show that is taking a lot of inspiration from Asian culture. And, um... And they they hired someone to basically call them out on cultural appropriation whenever which I think is like a great is great accountability. Obviously, I wish the the voice actors reflected that. Um, but it was really nice to get the the representation of an all Asian show. And I the first thing that they said when they announced it was that we are going to have a non-whitewash show. So that my brain immediately goes to does it have anything to do with that since that was one of that was one of the most important things. I mean, right. obviously you don't know. Is that why they walked away? Yeah, is that why they walked away? Uh, I mean, it could have been for a million different reasons. But right. yeah, I always yeah. feel like when they say it's creative differences that that's just like the nice way of saying that there was a big old fight. Uh, what characters did you like hate the most? Love or hate? Like yeah, I guess Hate. in the ones you have the anything. strongest feelings for. Yeah, mm. strongest feelings. In Korra, I didn't, I wasn't like super in love with Asami at the beginning. Mm. Um, be, and I had vibes right at the beginning. I was like, ooh, she's gonna be the villain. She's she's a villain. She's a villain. Oh, I thought the same thing. I think yeah, that was a great plot that. twist, though, when you yeah, find out that she, she didn't was, know that her dad yeah. was evil. Mm -hmm. But I because like there was this one part where she saw Cora and Mako like sitting in the car together, and she like shifted the rearview mirror to look at them, and she made this like kind of scary like side glance, and I was like, she's a villain, but she's not, <laughs> and she grew on me after a while. She grew on me. <laughs> what was your reaction when she ended up with Cora? I didn't have a problem with it. I loved it actually, just because it it wasn't it didn't just pop out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I mean they they were like together for a long time, like quietly together, and like she was the person that Cora was like running to when she had problems, and she was the person who was talking Cora off the ledge, and I mean yeah they did 
tease a couple of weird moments where she was like hugging Mako again. Do you remember those? And I was like, I am confused. What are they doing? And then when she was like, just you and me, let's go on vacation in the spirit world. I was like, I ship it. I like it. I like it. And then they held hands, which was like, great. But I was like, kiss? <laughs> I was like, kiss? Ooh, they kiss a lot kiss? in the comics, boo. Yes, the they comics? do. They do. Yeah. I've read some of them. I've read some of the comics. But I was like, ooh, kiss? But then. Oh, when Tenzin was like, do you remember when Tenzin was just like, I'm really happy for you, by the way. I was going to say Tenzin's like, dad. In a weird way. Right? Tenzin. Yeah, he's everybody. Like, J.K. Simmons is just always a cool dad. Like, he's just always the cool ass dad. Um just the coolest dad who's so real and who just like tells you how it is do you have any other characters that you have strong feelings about besides your initial feelings about asami um i had strong feel well i had strong feelings about mako because in the beginning and then i actually really also liked janora yes i like loved janora she was like really endearing and smart and she was a great airbender she kind of reminded me of like ang a little bit con honestly because she was right smart but like a little bit more collected and then you have milo who was like the crazy part of ang who was like want to like play a game and blah 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 um but i i loved janora and she was she could like astral project she was a really cool character. Yeah. Which she got her tattoos. The, where the fuck was that in Avatar? Like, holy shit, that was cool. I know. Imagine how much easier life for Aang would have been if he had learned how to astral project. He could have done so much more. He could have. Oh, I Aang. mean, like, non. he always nonchalantly escaped from stuff, and so did his grandkids, which I fucking love. True. True. Um, but uh, yeah, do you remember the scene at the end? I feel like this was just for the Avatar fans uh, but it was still the, the best scene in the entire show um, one of them uh, at the very end of season 3 at her when she got her tattoos and then she was bald oh yeah and she looked just like Aang yeah I think they did that on purpose oh my I was god like, wow what a call back <laughs> to her getting her tattoos and then Aang and all that and then they gave her hair <laughs> in the next season she had like a little like pushed back hair. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, full full Yang Chen. Full Yang Chen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which exactly. I didn't even know that was that Janora was played by Kiernan Chipka until I was looking up stuff earlier today, and I was like, really? Sabrina <laughs> is is. Genora? I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, and Allison Stoner's in it too. She plays Opal. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's I Opal. mean, I I can always tell. Yeah, me too. I, I hear Al she has a very distinct tone. I'm like, oh, Allison Stoner. Okay. What in your opinion, Brie, makes Cora a great protagonist? I like how she is kind of well she's like super confident, first of all. You can't can't take confidence away from Cora. Because she's like, I can do it, no problem. Remember in season one when um Tenzin said you have to be like the leaf to go through the thing. And she was like, easy. And then she like punched her way through it. <laughs> I loved that. I think she's smart, but a little hot-headed, but not in a bad way. I mean, it might be a little bit of a flaw, but I think 
if characters don't have flaws, then they're kind of boring. Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't want like a boring protagonist. What I loved about like Aang was he like did not want to kill people and he did not want to hurt people. Mm-hmm. And he was always talking to his past lives being like, hey, can you help me do this? Because I don't want to hurt, injure or kill people. Like, I don't want to do that. Mm. What I had a problem with Akora was she never talked to her past lives like ever. Yeah. It was yeah. definitely she, underutilized. She talked to Aang like once and then she talked to Wan, the first avatar, which was cool, but she never talked to anybody else. I was like, no. So maybe maybe that was her flaw. <laughs> that she like never utilized her avatar reincarnation selves right just because she wasn't super in touch with her spiritual side yeah i mean she did eventually go in there and i mean she is the avatar who created the second spirit portal right or the third no second she opened the spirit portal she opened the spirit portal (laughs) Um, (laughs) she bent the spirit vines or whatever um so i think that's important and they kind of saved the fact that she severed the connection with all of the other uh, avatars in the past with the fact that she kind of reunited the spiritual world and like the real world. Well, also, it kind of felt like at that point, just cutting off the dead weight, like if you're not going to use the past lives, <laughs> might as well just make it never happen again. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> From a creative standpoint, you know, just like, oh, yeah. well, I mean, if oh, you're yeah. uh, use it or lose it, I guess. Right. I definitely right. like because um, I, I went through I remember when that happened, I went through Reddit a lot and I <laughs> was like, D- is it gone forever? I was trying to look for interviews from the creators and be like, is Ang gone forever? But like, I know he's like not he's technically he's Cora. So he's like not gone. He's just Cora. But um, <laughs> L- like the doctor <laughs> in Doctor Who, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. David yeah. Tennant's yeah. somewhere in there. I mean, it's, it's really it's really, it's really rava, rava right 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 mm-hmm. right like it was like rava connecting all of them right yeah like they said that rava was like a memory bank and the memories are now gone like that's why cora can't like access her past avatars which i i don't like i understand why they made that choice i do understand that mm-hmm. cora could have used utilized her past avatars a little more in season two before yeah. cutting that off um but yeah she is a really good protagonist she is a she's very flawed which honestly i knew ang it was a little harder to see his flaws yeah Yeah. i think that's something i felt over time like as i got older when i'd rewatch it kind of bugged me a little bit that it seemed like ang was almost too perfect yeah but then you know once you start to look deeper at like the fact that his pacifism kind of like actually is an issue in so many things like you said like how he's so dedicated to not hurting anybody that it becomes a fault in certain instances Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you can kind of find those cracks in his personality and also you know like his crippling self-doubt and like feeling like he abandoned his people yeah there there are those those character flaws but those are some big ones i think the ones that i think one of the reasons why uh and maybe you guys can sound off on this one of the reasons why Cora gets so much shit for all of her character flaws is that she is a woman oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) I mean (laughs) that laugh (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean it's like 
I think, uh, yeah, I, I think people give her, treat her a little bit harsher. But I like that she was hot-headed. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love how that guy in the first season who is spewing stuff about the anti-benders, she just basically, like, destroyed his little his little podium. <laughs> like, no, get out of here with that. That was very interesting. What did you perceive of, because I, like, seeing that in high school, like, that first season, The Equalists, that was very, that would have been very interesting, because I first saw it in college. And what did you make of that first season, like, when you first saw I, it? I, I really liked it, because nothing in Avatar kind of really touched on that. Um, so I was really, really excited for the new kind of storyline. You know, they say like every story is a version of the same, like four stories or something. There's like a phrase like that, but I felt that one kind of went out of the box and I was like really excited for it. And they did it really cool. And I was, I was hooked immediately, I think. Oh yeah. And, and I, I was just super into like how Cora was going to deal because she was so hot headed and like brazen had a deal with Amon, who was really calm, cool, and collected, and was like, hey, let me put my thumb on your forehead and, like, completely destroy who you are. (laughs) Scary! Scary villain. Truly one of the most terrifying, I think. Yeah, he was scary. I was afraid. Bloodbending is intense. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, I really love how they touched on how fucking powerful waterbending is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how fucking, how actually powerful waterbending is. Oh, then they they kept it going with Unalak. I mean... Unalak. Nothing scarier than a waterbender, I guess, is really what it is at the end of the day. (laughs) They'll get you. Oh, God. Brie, I have one other question that I really want to ask you. Obviously, without trying to, like, insert yourself into the show, not like, oh, a plug for this talented voiceover actress, (laughs) but um, what character would you like to play in the Avatar universe if you could go back and, like, get the part? Oh, my gosh. Cool, cool question. Um, uh, I mean... I th- if if it was like Avatar, 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 I would definitely want to voice Katara. But I also would kind of want to voice um, Ty Lee <gasps> because she's so cute and like weird. And I would love to just access that like super quirky part of my voice to like play with her doing weird stuff. I don't know. She was a fun character. I loved her. Oh, you could have done that. You also could have done Toph, <laughs> I feel. Oh, I really loved Top's voice. No, I loved Top's voice. I wouldn't change Top's just because she has like that. It's like a young voice, but also a little like gravelly. Oh, yeah. I was love like, her voice. I was like, I loved I, it. Love Jessie Flower. Love yeah, Jessie like, Flower. I loved Top. And I loved Top. She was a funny character. Even when, she, especially when she was like old grandma Top in Korra. <laughs> I was like, she's the best. She's like, you Top. I know. I love that. She would be a hermit. (laughs) And she was like, well, there's a reason you can't bend with all that metal in you. (laughs) She just like found your trauma right there and wants you to take it out. That's therapy. That's therapy. (laughs) Yeah, that was really interesting going straight from like Katara to oh that's really interesting as well because they were always bickering over like uh how to teach ang and stuff and then all of a sudden cora went from katara as a healing teacher uh, or as the person healing her to toff yeah and toff got it done grandma (laughs) toff 
And in Korra, uh, what was the name of Jannara's little sister? Iki. Iki. I feel like I could do a good Iki because she's like little. Or Opal, which is Allison's stoner. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that You could have done, yeah. Honestly, Just, you could have done any character on that show. But Bolin. they have great... <laughs> they had great voices, and I think they all were cast, like, they sounded the way they looked. And I, I liked that. I was like, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, how even Asami's voice in the beginning was... I wouldn't say she had like a little bit of a lisp, but maybe, maybe there was like a little hint of a lisp, but then it grew on me and I liked it. Oh, fun fact. Um, the girl that voiced Asami, uh, was Yue in the live action Avatar. Oh, weird. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah, but you kind of love it because actually the best actress in that was Yue. Yeah. I feel even though Yue is kind of like one of the more unlikable characters. I mean, to be honest, I completely blacked out that movie. I have no recollection. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist until we make an episode about it. Okay, quick. Can I ask you a question about Steven Universe? Okay. Um, What? Okay. Because Steven Joe. And we're definitely going to talk more about Steven Universe in the future. Like, what do you think? Because Rebecca Sugar apparently had to fight hard for Steven Universe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just because the show is queer as fuck. Right. And for it to be as gay as it was. Yeah. How do you think that the the with issuing these mature themes to children, because you work a lot with children. You've been working with children basically since you were a child, like the dictionary and Blue's Clues. I mean, I like guess bubble I don't guppies. work. I guess I don't work with them. I kind of work. Yeah. Well, for I guess them. Like you work. You work adjacent to <laughs> them. I work, indirectly. I work for the children. Um, you work. For, you perform for the children. I don't see um, why. I, I loved Steven Universe and I loved everything in it, and I was never shocked, and I want everybody to watch it basically. Mm. And I don't have a problem. I don't think there should be any problems with it. There's nothing, I mean, even like got across like toxic relationships and stuff. And I was like, oh, I was very affected by that. I was like, my gosh, that was so real. What advice would you give to people that like are kind of afraid to push boundaries with kids, but like. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just do the voices, Babs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's more of like an artistic question. says what people write down. (laughs) Tiny people, yeah. Because they're they're really smart. They're very smart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so smart that if I tell a kid like, "Hi, I'm I'm Molly," she's like, "Molly has pink hair." 
and lives in the ocean. I'm like, you're right, and you're so smart. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't live in the ocean. <laughs> oh <laughs> you my know. goodness. I just thought of another question for you, because I know that this is something you've probably had to overcome through acting school as well. Um, is it hard having a voice that does still sound so youthful, like in your everyday life? <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. Yes. <laughs> no, it's a challenge. I had a lot of teachers at Pace who would challenge me. That was like one of my biggest challenges was how deep can you go? Like how many levels can you access? And I mean, even as a 25-year-old actress, I want to do more things. You know, like I want to do more projects. I want to do more things that I don't have to sound like I'm five or, but I mean, that's the tricky part because I don't sound 25. Um, <laughs> probably, probably like 16 is kind of generally how I sound when I talk. Uh, people think I'm literally 16, which I guess is a good thing when you're 25. You know, I'm like, I kind of roll with it now. Right, right. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like the one 16-year-old with the best skin ever <laughs> compared to any other 16-year-old because you've got, yeah. you know, that post-puberty yeah. skin. Okay, so we're going to oh, yeah. wrap up and play this game just so okay. we can get you off so you don't have to stay here forever. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Okay, um, so now we're going to test Bree's knowledge on Cora and see if she can guess these quotes and who said them. Cora had some good fucking quotes. Very, I had to like, it was very hard for me to choose some. This first one is going to be pretty easy. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I put you in a difficult position by fighting the giant force of pure evil that was going to destroy the whole world? Maybe your administration could have handled that. Cora. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I was like, oh God, did I get it wrong? <laughs> Quote number two. Don't bring my mother into this. Tenzin. Yes. And you thought you were going to do bad. <laughs> I just remember the face he made when he said that. Oh, yes. The best it was like, face. <laughs> when his eyebrows were off of his skull. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look to your left. Look to your right. One of those people will not make it out of here alive. Oh, God. She know in Cora, they could have been serious. <laughs> um. Oh, crap. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, I would just be like, I'm on because it's obvious, but I don't think it is. It's uh, the correct answer. The answer we were looking for is the lemur trainer extraordinaire Milo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Right. I believe that's when he's training all Probably. the air, the new air nomads. Yeah. Okay. He's like, look to your left, look to your right. They're just like, oh, Take that him the kid. Boss, boss circle. <laughs> yeah. That kid. Oh, right. <laughs> Since you're a ki you're a kale person. Uh, every time I eat raw kale, I'm going to think of you. I want to say Bolin. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. <laughs> it. I can't even remember what that quote is from. What episode? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but it sounds like something It sounds like something Bolin would say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was season three, I think, when uh, Opal was about to leave for the Northern Air Temple. Ah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how I remember that. I've seen season three a million times. <laughs> I'm too young to live through 10,000 years of darkness. 
I think that's Milo. No. I thought it was Milo too, actually. <laughs> Who is it? Who is it? It's Bolin. Oh, yeah. yeah. During during the uh, Unavatu uh, episode. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> you give metal benders a bad name. Oh God. Um. Ay ay ay. What it? What was her name? Frickin' Top's daughter. The 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 one that was like the cop. Lynn. Lynn. I'm gonna say Lynn, but it's probably not Lynn. It's actually no, it's Toph. probably Bolin again. Oh, it's, oh, it's Toph, Toph herself. It's it's Forest Hermit. <laughs> Forest Hermit Toph. Yeah, <laughs> when they're uh, facing against Kavira and Kavira's too like she she's just like, "Oh no, I'm not going against Toph." Like, she, "No, no, no." Right. And Toph was just like, yeah. "You give metal benders a bad name." <laughs> Uh, I love her. Um, and the such very... a dramatic line for the last line that we have oh. here. I just thought it was such a funny line. I don't know why it was so funny. I'm going to do it my way outside the law. Mako! <laughs> no, I don't know. Close. Is it Mako? Close. <laughs> They're pretty similar people. It's Mako's boss. Oh, um, I forget his name. Was it the, the Earth? No, just kidding. No, it's Lynn. It's Lynn. Oh. <laughs> Lin Beifong. Yeah, she was just like, outside the law. Oh, that's when she was saying that she's going to go after Amon after she lost her job. Ah, uh, yeah. And then they were like going to reinstate her. And then she was like, nah, I got to go find Amon outside the law. Uh, that's just such a great moment. She's just like, she's just like, because that's when you're just like, fuck my job. I just want to get these motherfuckers out of the city like yeah i think it's funny too because it's such a serious line coming from one of the few adult characters Mm -hmm. in the show so i guess maybe that's why it comes across as a little funny to you yeah (laughs) i don't know why it's like it's just it sounds like a classic cop tv show you know i was gonna say i said mako because of that time when when he had his little notes and he said ah when you get there tell him mako sent you (laughs) <laughs> I was like, oh, was that one of the lines he was giving Cora when he was, uh, you know, practicing his his arrest bad lines. cop lines? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. One line I almost wrote down and then I realized it was like very stupid. If I wrote it down, it's I'm the avatar. You got to deal with it. Oh, um, baby Cora with a little <laughs> fat <Cora>. belly. <laughs> With her little belly. Yeah. Um, that was actually one of the first things that Melissa said when she saw baby Cora. She was like, the belly. Um, anything else you want to talk about, Brie? Anything you want to say? Plug? Anything? Oh, find me on Instagram at Brianna Gent or on TikTok at your girl Brie underscore. Oh, my God. Your TikToks, <laughs> which that's another thing that you did before it was cool. Well, I did it when it was musical and yeah, you did musicality before anyone else did it. <laughs> she no, I remember her. I'm in not college. that good at before it. Before they got bought by TikTok. Yeah, yeah before it was... she literally used to make vines and music musicality. Oh, vines! I remember Vine. Vine was so fun. Yeah, that I was like Vine. your number one goal was to be a Vine star. Yeah, it was, it was like, so funny. I want to be a Viner, but you know, it died. So, and you would just be like, <laughs> I want to be Vine famous. <laughs> I loved Vine. It was so funny. Um, well, Brie, thank you so much for coming on. You are amazing. Thank you for being on the pod. Thank you for having me. And, uh, I love talking anything nerdy. Um, and you know where to find me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll have you on to, uh, talk about how terrible the live action movie is. Well, we love you, glow girl. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to Yip Yip The Last Podcast with me, Libby Lee. And me, Bethany Burnham. We come out with new episodes every Tuesday. If you like what you heard, be sure to review us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Yip Yip The Last Podcast. Oogie, Yip Yip. Off a Yip Yip.